she should be there. We're going to start reading at verse 30. And we do read, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. In verse 32, So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. And let's pray. Father, we ask once again that you would just bless this time in the teaching of your word. And Lord, we have come aside to this place, this sanctuary, on this morning to, to hear from you and to be refreshed and renewed. And I pray that that would take place here this morning as we give our attention to you, as we open up our hearts to, Lord, just receive from you. And Lord, just as there was a feeding that's going to take place uh, on that hillside of Galilee 2,000 years ago, I pray that there would be a feeding here this morning in our hearts and in our souls as we feed upon the Word of God. I pray that we would be free from distractions, that we would be settled in our seats, and Lord, our ears open to what it is that you want to show us and teach us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, you might recall, if you've been with us in our study of Mark's gospel, last week, as we were reading verses 7 through 13 of the chapter, Jesus had called the 12 apostles to himself, and then he would send them out. We know from Matthew's narrative that they would go out two by two. And as those disciples did go out on that missionary journey that they were sent out to go to the house of Israel, Jesus said, don't go by way of the Gentiles or to the cities of Samaria. Just go to the lost sheep of Israel. He would give them a message, and that was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would also be doing mighty works. Of course, it was the Lord that would empower them to do those works, to give that message. And now we see they come back. They're coming back to Jesus. And they were telling him, as we read in verse 30, all the things that they had done and all the things that they had taught. And so Jesus at this point says to them, hey, let's, let's go get some rest. Let's just get away to a deserted place or to a quiet place. And so the disciples coming back from that journey, were, they were quite busy. And now they're coming back to, to Jesus. And as they return, remember that the multitudes are still gathered to Jesus. The multitudes are great at this time, probably greater than at any other time in Jesus' ministry. And so the busyness is going to continue. Matter of fact, it is so busy, as we read, that as people are coming, so many of them needing a touch from Jesus, the disciples, Jesus, they don't even have time to eat. And so I love our Lord here. He, he says to them, listen, let's get away. Let's withdraw from the crowds. Let's go to a deserted place. Let's go get some rest for a while. Let's come aside, verse 31 tells us. And Jesus, he knew that it was a time for them to have that time of rest. Jesus also knew when it was a time to work. Because in our lives, our lives generally, it's very busy, isn't it? With our jobs and responsibilities as parents, as we uh, have our ministries, we work hard. We labor. And there's so many things that, that we have to do in life. And there's so many distractions that, that really can be difficult to just have that time of rest but particularly that time of rest to get away to be with the Lord. And that's one of the things that I want to do at this point in our study. I want to kind of bring it home a little bit closer to us because I think that 
we need to be reminded that it's important for us as Christians to get away, to get some rest, to, to really be quiet before the Lord. We need to do that daily, constantly, just that quiet time before we begin our day. Because I don't know about you, for me, once my day begins, the phone is ringing, um, emails are coming in, people are stopping by, there's all kinds of busyness. And in the busyness and in the noise of the day, it is very difficult to just be quiet before the Lord. So for me, and I know for you, it is very important that we spend that quiet time before the Lord. I can't emphasize that enough. It's a real key to our Christian lives, to be quiet before the Lord daily, but also there are those special times that, that are important for us to just get away with the Lord, that extended time perhaps, maybe an afternoon, a few hours, or maybe a day, maybe even a couple days. And as we do that, know this, that the Lord's going to refresh you, and He's going to renew your spirit, and He's going to strengthen you. So those quiet times before the Lord are very, very important. And the disciples here, after they came back from their journey and going out and ministering and doing mighty works and teaching, the Lord says, let's just get away. Let's withdraw from the crowds and ministry right now, and let's go to a quiet place. And as we continue with our text here, we're going to read a very familiar story that I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, that we've read this story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And this story here, this vignette, is recorded in all four Gospels. And there's only a few events in the ministry of Jesus that are really recorded in all four Gospels besides the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus' ministry, there's only a few events that we see that are told to us in all four of the Gospels. And whenever we see that, it's important for us to stop, even though it's a familiar portion of Scripture, and really pay attention because it's like the Lord is saying, listen, I've recorded this four times in all four Gospels, so it's important for you to read it, to understand, to get it down. And I think that's what the Lord would say to us this morning. We know from Luke's account, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples get into a boat, just as we're told here in Mark's account. And Luke tells us that they're headed to that area of Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of provision. It is, along with Mark's gospel and John's gospel, tells us that the crowds do something interesting. What the crowds do here, and remember the crowds are great. There's thousands of people that are pressing in to get to Jesus and try to see him and be touched by him. And so the crowds begin to follow Jesus and his disciples on foot. In other words, they're going to hoof it over on the shores, on the hillsides of Galilee there, over to that area where they are going. They see Jesus and the disciples in the boat. Again, as I remind you, that the Sea of Galilee sets in a bowl. It's about 850 feet below sea level. And so anywhere that you come into the Sea of Galilee, you're dropping down into that large lake, which is about... 12 miles long and about 9 miles wide. And here they are in the boat, and the people see Jesus and the disciples. Actually, where Jesus is at, it's almost like a natural amphitheater. Just kind of surrounds the lake and the hillsides there, and they're looking, and hey, there's Jesus and the disciples, and we'll hoof it over. They're headed over to the other side of the lake. We'll go over there where they are going. And that's what we read about in verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran, and there on foot from all the cities they arrived before them and came together to him. Now put yourself in, in Jesus and the disciples' sandals a little bit. 
Here they are wanting to get away. And they've been busy. They just came back, the disciples, going out two by two on their missionary journeys throughout the house of Israel. They come back in more busyness. The crowds are trying to get to Jesus. And he says, let's get away. Let's go to a quiet place. We need some rest. And all of a sudden, this great multitude is not just walking along the shores of the lake to get to where Jesus and the disciples are going, but they ran. They're running. And I can imagine, here are these guys in this boat, and they're looking, and they see this mass, this sea of people just running to where they're going, and they're going, oh, no. So much for getting away. We know from Matthew's account that Jesus had also just heard about John's death, as we read about that, and the events surrounding the death of John the Baptist as he was beheaded by Herod. And I'm sure that as Jesus heard that news, that he was very saddened. He would be grieving. And he would like to just have some quiet time as well, some downtime. But here are all these people following him. They're running to get to Jesus. They arrive there where they're going before even the boat gets there. And it would have been very, very easy for Jesus and his disciples to get short with the people here. You know how that is. When you look forward to maybe having some downtime, maybe an afternoon, maybe a day, maybe it's even something that's more than that. Maybe a little vacation that you have planned and you've been working hard and things have been busy with the family and all the activities and all the noise that's going on in your life and you're looking forward to it and all of a sudden it comes and then a monkey wrench gets thrown into it. And you think, oh, I was looking so forward to it and I need this time off. And, and something comes up and you're wondering, should I engage in that thing? Should I continue you know, uh, in planning on having that quiet time, whatever it might be? And this is the dilemma that they are facing right now. I know that that can happen in my own life. I remember right before Thanksgiving. You see, Thanksgiving is one of those weekends that really that I get a chance to kind of have a little bit of downtime because it gets so busy and you look forward to it. And I love the Thanksgiving Eve service on Wednesday night and we have people come in and bring in pies in and it's just a fun service. And then we're off Thursday and Friday and we kind of shut things down in the church and just have a wonderful weekend to look forward to. And I remember coming in last Thanksgiving, Monday, got my work done and then Tuesday just wrapped things up and here I am I'm looking so forward to just having some time with my family and some time just downtime and quiet time and I'm about ready to kick my feet up on the desk and say yeah I love this week coming up because now it's going to slow down and it's going to be fun and spending that time and the phone rings we got a fatality one of our deputies have just been killed and it was at that time that I was busy literally all day long and into the evenings, even Thanksgiving, and briefings and deep briefings and ministering. And it was something that I'm so thankful for my family for having the patience and knowing that that was a time that I was to engage in, in doing what God had called me to do. But you know those times where we look forward and all of a sudden something comes up and it would have been very easy for Jesus and the disciples to say, hey, you know, we want to get away. Hey, for Jesus to say, listen, I need to get away from you all. Why are you bugging me? Why are you here? I need to be alone. So the question oftentimes that we will have is, when is it 
Or how do I know when I need to get involved with the needs of others around me and engage in ministry versus when I need to seek the Lord in quietness and solitude? And those times I believe are extremely important that we do that. That we retreat to a quiet place where we can hear His voice and focus on the Lord. It was Moses. You know about his ministry. He had the biggest church in the world. Two and a half million people. He pastored that church for 40 years. Matter of fact, it says at one time in his ministry that he was seeing people all day long and into the night. He was so busy, but he knew the importance of getting away and just fellowshipping with the Lord and hearing from the Lord. Because in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus, it tells us that he took his tent, he folded it up, he went outside to camp. That was no small feat. This isn't a little camp. We're talking about a camp of two and a half million people. And he would travel outside that camp. He would set up his tent. He called it the tabernacle of meeting. And there he fellowshiped with God. And, and the Lord spoke to him. Matter of fact, it says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man would speak to a friend. And Moses knew the importance of doing that, even though he was very busy, even though he had a lot that was going on and people wanting to get to him. So the question is for us, how do we know when it is time to be involved with the needs of the people here the multitudes, they're bringing all those who are sick, and Jesus had been healing them, but now he's wanting to get away. So do we engage in the ministry, or do I at this time need to set up my tabernacle of meeting and talk with the Lord? Because as a father and as a husband, as a pastor, as a chaplain, there are always people that are hurting and need to be talked with and ministered to. And it's the same with you. You have people all around you that you can minister to, that perhaps are hurting. But we also know that there needs to be a quiet time that is before the Lord. And I th as we consider that and ponder that question this morning, I think verse 34 gives us some guidelines here, at least in one way how we can know. Because we read Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So verse 34 helps us in one way, one way, to know, as it was with Jesus, when to engage, he saw the multitudes. And he had compassion. And I know that when compassion moves my heart, there have been times where I can be flexible because my heart is gripped with tender mercies towards a situation, towards that group of people, towards that individual. And I can get involved in the situation. I can begin to minister and take the extra time to minister. But I also know that there needs to be that time where I need to be quiet for a while before the Lord. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31 here, what we just read, when it says that they would come aside, Jesus said, let's come aside. It's also translated, come apart. Let's come apart to a quiet place. And I do know this, that if we don't take that time, particularly daily, that, that time to come apart, if we don't take that time and those extra times that come apart, then we're going to fall apart. We're going to begin to fall apart spiritually. And we're going to be overwhelmed. And we're going to be taxed. And we're going to begin to start to minister to people out of the flesh and out of our own energies when we should be doing it, being refreshed by the Lord and energized by Him. So it takes real discernment and prayer in this whole area. But Jesus here is moved with compassion. And at this time, He's going to begin to minister to those 
who have followed him. And there may be those times where we need to be flexible and the Lord is saying, hey, I've interrupted this time. That maybe that you had other plans and you're gripped with compassion. And so you say, Lord, I'm going to engage in that ministry. So verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a, great, a, a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages to buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now here's the scene. They go to this deserted place to get away. The multitudes are following them. The crowds are getting larger. Jesus ministering to them. He's teaching them all day long, and the day starts to get late. And it's dinner time, or it's near dinner time. And there's no king supers around. Kind of like when we go in the back country, the kids and I's. And, and we've set up camp somewhere, but we go and we'll do this in the summertime. We'll hike a few miles back in the back country and it starts getting late. And it's like, come on, guys, we need to get going. We need to get out of here. We need to go get something to eat. And we got a couple hours of hiking yet ahead of us. And so that's what they're faced with. They're in a deserted place. They got to go to the villages and to the surrounding areas to try to get some food. So Jesus turns to his disciples that had this concern and it seems like it's a very reasonable point that they're trying to bring to Jesus and concern that they're, they, they had for the people. It's getting late. They better get into the villages so they can get some food. And again, it wasn't that it, the store was open 24-7 in those days. When the sun set, that was it. There was no food to buy. So Jesus says, oh, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. Now, I can just picture the disciples kind of scratching their heads and they're dumbfounded and they're saying, what do you mean? You give them something to eat. And so Mark's narrative here, they, they're responding by saying, should we go buy some food? Should you know, we send for takeout? What, what do you want us to do? Jesus is saying, you feed them. So the disciples, they're confused, probably. They're concerned, certainly, how do we buy all this food and haul it back for thousands of people? How's this going to work, Lord? What do you mean you feed them? But there's something very important here. And again, Jesus is talking spiritually in the spiritual realm. You see, for you and for me, we need to ponder this and, and pay attention here. Because there are people all around us. Every single one of us have people around us that are hungry that they find themselves in life in a deserted place where there's just that deserted feeling that they have in their lives because they don't have the Lord or they don't have the truth of the Lord. And sometimes we can think, you know what, let's send them away. I'll send them to Pastor Jeff. Now, there are times where you need to do that. I understand that. And I'm glad when people come to me. Don't misunderstand my heart on this. But sometimes we think, well, send them to this pastor or send them to that counselor or, or send them to this, this leader in the church, whatever it might be. And perhaps the Lord is saying to you, you feed them. You feed them. You have food to give to them, spiritual food to give to them. And that's another reason why it's so important that, that we're familiar with the scriptures because we can feed people's hearts and souls with the truth of the gospel and with the truth of what God's word has declared to us, you have food to give to them. And that's what Jesus is saying. You feed them. 
And so verse 38, but he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks and hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. In verse 44, now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So the feeding of the 5,000 taking place on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's a very beautiful spot. We know again from the other Gospels, John account tells us that there was a little boy that gave the five loaves and two fish. Mark tells us that they would sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds, and there were 5,000 men, as we're told here in Mark and also in Matthew's account. That's not counting the women and the children. So the number, I believe, was significantly higher, perhaps around 15,000. We don't know for sure. But picture the scene here. The people are all sitting in groups. It's grassy hillside, about ready to be fed by our Lord who had been ministering to them, had compassion for them. He'd been there all day long with the people. Now contrast that with what we read last week, what took place at Herod's place. The drunkenness, the partying, the carnality, the ugly scene as John the Baptist was beheaded and his head was presented to Herodias as it was a gross scene there and all that was taking place that we read last week. What the world has to offer you and what Jesus has to offer you is completely different. And all of us have decisions to make. Where we're going to be, where we're going to hang out, what we're going to watch, what we're going to take in. And then what my prayer for all of us, that we would make it a priority to be in a place where we can sit and be fed God's word and comforted and be ministered to by the Lord. We got decisions to make whether we're going to be in that place of being fed by him or are we going to hang out at Herod's place where there's just a lot of carnality and the flesh is being fulfilled, but in reality it's an ugly scene and it is bad news. Where would you have rather been here in, John, in Mark chapter 6? On the hillside with Jesus or in Herod's place? And I am confident that you say in your heart, those of you who are here, I'd rather be on the hillside with Jesus. But you see, today and tomorrow, that we're all going to have decisions to make, and I pray that we would make the right decisions daily to be in a place where we are truly being fed and nourished by God. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And what I hope that our ministry to others is that we would help them see that you need to be in a place where you're being fed and refreshed and renewed by the Lord. Don't be hanging out at Herod's place. Because what that will lead you to is eventually being like Herod, who was exceedingly sorrowful, as we saw last week, and just sick and grossed out. Come to the place where you can be blessed by the Lord. You bring them here. 
You bring them to other places in your home where the presence of God and the praises of God are spoken, to a place where they can be refreshed and blessed and filled by the Lord. So Jesus said, set them down in groups. And the Lord took the loaves and the fish, and he blessed them and broke them. Verse 41, gave to the disciples, and they gave to the people, and they were filled. In other words, they were stuffed. They couldn't eat anymore. It's like us guys, when we leave the men's breakfast from Golden Corral, we come out. Man, we, we are filled. We've had a good breakfast, and these guys are filled. They can't eat anymore. And it's interesting that I imagine at first when the disciples are thinking, as Jesus said, bring to me what you have. The little boy says, well, I got five loaves and two fish. And the disciples are thinking, okay, only the first group's going to get fed. <laughs> you know, What are we going to tell the other guys? But the food kept multiplying. And they were all filled and I think there's some very important principles here for us to consider. Four of them, matter of fact, if you like to jot down notes. Number one, number one, what we see here is sometimes we can think, I know that I certainly do in my life, that I think, Lord, I don't have much to give to you. I don't have much smarts or resources or abilities or talents, whatever it is, but what little we do have, we can give it to the Lord and allow him to bless it and multiply it. And it's going to be a blessing to others. It's going to be a blessing to others more than you can imagine if you just say, Lord, here is my heart and here is my life and here's what little that I can give to you. And as you give it to him, he's going to take it and he's going to do what he desires to be a blessing to others and bring glory and honor to him. That's point number one. But secondly, the other side of the spectrum is this. Notice that between the blessing and the multiplying, what was there? There was a breaking. And you see, oftentimes, there's a breaking that needs to take place before you can really bless others and what Jesus has given to you to give. It reminds me of the book of Judges, the story of Gideon. And Gideon, he was the least in his family, his family the least in his tribe. The tribe was the least of all the tribes of Israel. And the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you, that you're going to lead the children of Israel against the the Midianites who had oppressed them for so many years. And so Gideon blew the trumpet, and it would be all these men that came, and the Lord said, dismiss them, Gideon, as he went through a series of events that we don't have time to go into. The guys that are scared, tell them to go, and most of them left. And the guys that go down to the water to drink, if they cup the water, I'll keep those guys. Only 300 left. So Gideon, is going to be you and these 300 guys that are going to do battle against 135,000 Midianites. And I'm going to get the glory is what the Lord said. And so how they did that is Gideon was told, you take each one of those 300 men, you have clay pots with coals in the middle of it, and when the trumpet blows, have those men break those clay pots, and when the wind would come in and ignite those coals, the light would go forth. And the Midianites were very confused, and they scattered and ran and were, were defeated soundly. And in our own lives... It's the same thing that God taught Gideon. You see, Gideon had to be broken in his spirit before victory took place. And the Lord needs to break us of our self-reliance and our pride and our self-assurance and our self-focus. Oh, Lord, I can do this and bless others because I am so wonderful and I am so talented and I am so much smarter than everybody else. Good thing that you have me around to do this thing, Lord. Uh-uh. 
I want the Lord to break me of all of that so that he can truly use me in a way that he desires and to bring glory to him. And a lot of you know what A.W. Tozer said. He said, before God uses a man greatly, he will break him deeply. Third principle, Jesus took and gave the loaves to his disciples and then they gave to the multitudes, right? Listen, this is important. You cannot give to people what you haven't received from the Lord. I'm going to say that again. You cannot give to people what you haven't received from the Lord. In other words, dads, husbands, moms, grandparents, you who are discipling others, you who are ministering to others, how are you going to be able to give to others if you're not receiving from the Lord? In Exodus chapter 32, Moses, the Lord said, go lead the people to the place that that I have shown you. And if we are not being shown by the Lord the things of truth and the things that he is teaching us and showing us, how are you going to be able to lead others to that place? If we're not spending that quiet time before the Lord, if we're not seeking him, if we're not growing in the word of God, how are we going to be able to lead people, our children or whoever it might be, to that place that God wants us to lead them if we're not being shown that? So it's important that, Lord, show me, teach me how to be the husband you want me to be, how to be the wife you want me to be, how to be the parent you called me to be, Lord, how to be that leader in ministry that you called me to be. And that is we need to be receiving from him before we can show it to others and minister to others. And then fourthly, lastly, all the people were filled. The disciples, interesting, isn't it? There's 12 disciples. How many baskets did they take up? 12 baskets. Twelve disciples, twelve baskets. They each got a basket full of fragments that they would pick up. As you are giving out, as the Lord gives to you what He desires to give to you, and you allow Him to, to, to bless it as you give it to Him, what little you have, multiply it and use you to, to give out what He's blessed you with, you know what you're going to find? You're going to have a basket full of blessing in your life. And so wonder, the Word of God says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Whatever measure you give out, it will be given back to you. And it's my desire for all of us in your life to be full of blessing because you're giving out. And it happens when we get out of the mentality of send them away. Because perhaps the Lord is saying to you, you feed them. You feed them. And when we say, okay, Lord, I've heard your voice. Lord, break me. I I give to you what I have. Break me of my selfishness, my self-reliance. Here's what I have to give. You multiply it so I can give to others for your glory and for your purposes. And you know what you're going to find? You are going to find that you're going to be blessed beyond measure. Folks, don't miss out. Don't miss out on what God wants to bless you with as you're given to others. But he may be speaking to you, perhaps even this morning, that he's saying to you, there's somebody that I want you to feed and minister to, or a group of people, or some ministry, or to your children, whatever it might be. You feed them. And you just surrender to him and allow him to do that work he wants to do.
As we continue on, verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, which he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. We know from John's gospel at this time that the people were about ready to crown him as king. Hey, did you see who he, what he's done? He's fed us. He's healed us. He, I'm sure that he can throw off the yoke of Rome. If we crown him as our king, we'll never go hungry again, we'll never be sick again, we'll be for free from the yoke of Rome. They were ready to crown him as king at that time, as John's account tells us, and Jesus dismissed the crowds because he knew there was a bigger bondage that they needed to be free from, and that was to be freed from sin. And he was going to the cross. And the only crown that he would wear was not a crown of royalty, but a crown of thorns. In verse 47, now when every, that is evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Jesus is on mountain praying, the disciples in the boat straining. They're being tossed about by the wind, and the storm comes blowing into the lives of the disciples. Right after they've seen an amazing miracle that Jesus performed in the feeding of the 5,000. Matter of fact, at this time, Jesus is at the height of his popularity with the people. So after this, this day of excitement, all of a sudden it's going to be replaced by fear. And the same thing happens in our own lives, doesn't it? Oftentimes after we see a time of real blessing, God working in an incredible way, a powerful way, maybe he's even worked a miracle in your life, touched your heart deeply, spoken to you in a very real way, and then shortly after that we find ourselves in difficulties. We find ourselves in a storm. The wind begins to blow trouble into our lives. And the waves are crashing into us. Don't be surprised or taken back when that happens. After you had that mountaintop experience, you find yourself in the valley or in the desert or in a storm of some kind. Maybe the Lord just, as you took a retreat to get away with the Lord, He spoke to you, but then all of a sudden you come home and there's turmoil, there's trouble that's taken place. It can happen. It happened to Elijah, didn't it? As you read 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19, you see how that powerful prophet there, that the Lord was working mightily through him, and he was the one that called down fire from heaven there on Mount Carmel to consume the sacrifice and the wood of the sacrifice, and then he slew the prophets of Baal. It was a great victory. It was a powerful moment for that prophet. But right after that, the king of Israel... Just, uh, his wife Jezebel issues a threat against Elijah, says, I'm going to lop your head off, Elijah. And Elijah got real depressed. He got full of fear. And he heads from the northern part of the country, Mark Carmel, down to the desert. And he's there, and the angel wakes him up, and, God, and there's Elijah saying, God, just kill me. And the angel says, Arise, Elijah, and eat, for the journey is long. So Elijah runs clear down to the Arabia, to the mountain of God. He's in the cave. He's depressed. He's full of fear. And all of a sudden there was an earthquake. And then there was fire. And then there was a mighty wind. But you see, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the fire. But he heard the still small voice of the Lord saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? I got things for you to do. You see, after a real time of excitement and victory, 
We see God working powerfully. It can be followed by a time of difficulty and storm. Certainly it was true for Elijah. And certainly true for these 12 disciples that are now in this boat being tossed about. But as we're going to read, we're going to see that they're going to hear the voice of the Lord come to them. And I want you to know this. That when you're really going through it, know that the voice of the Lord still can be heard. He desires to speak to you through the Word of God. He desires to speak to your heart in that still, small voice. So they get into a boat, just as the Lord told them, them and, and they're on the lake, and, the, and all of a sudden the wind's blowing, and it's contrary to them, and these guys are getting nowhere. It's struggle, it's hard, it's straining. The waves are big, and, and, and think about that. I really got to admire these disciples because they're being obedient to what the Lord has told them to do. It would have been a lot easier for them just to turn back. But the Lord told us to go over to that other side and they're roaring and they're not getting anywhere and the wind is against them. Have you ever felt that way as a Christian? That I'm trying, Lord, I want to be obedient to you, but it's not easy. The world comes against me, the enemy comes against me, and I'm not getting anywhere and it seems like I'm just straining and there's difficulties and I'm not getting ahead in my workplace. I'm not getting ahead with relationships. I'm not getting ahead or going forward in this situation or whatever it might be. And it's real easy to turn around and go back to the world. Say, forget about being obedient to what the Lord's telling me to go and the direction I'm to go. It'd be a lot easier if I just turn around and go back. So you have to admire these disciples here. They're, they're trying to be obedient to the Lord, and still the winds are blowing. But know this, that in those difficulties, it seems like that you're just not getting ahead, and the wind's blowing against you, and the storm has come upon you. That you know what you're going to find to be true? You're going to be fine what's true is, as we read in verse 48 about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. He's going to come to you. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out and, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch, which is about three o'clock in the morning, and they're terrified. They cry out, it's a ghost. I mean, what would you think if you saw somebody walking on a lake at three o'clock in the morning? You would think the same thing. I would think the same thing. But it was Jesus coming to them in the midst of the storm, and he says, it is I, be good cheer, don't be afraid. And that's what he says to any of you that perhaps are in a storm that you're facing today. The straining, the struggling, the fear that maybe perhaps comes to you this morning. And the Lord speaks to your heart, don't be afraid, it is I, be of good cheer. And they went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, Mark's account doesn't tell the story of, which we're so familiar with, of Peter walking on the water. And I wonder why. And I think perhaps could it be, because remember that Mark's account is, is telling Peter's. Peter is giving Mark his account of the gospel here. So Mark is writing it down. And, and Peter is, is relaying this information to John Mark, who is the author of this book. But perhaps could it be that Peter's kind of saying, let's just kind of skip that part about me walking on the water and then sinking. 
But in that, there was great faith that Peter had as he walked on the water, but then he got his eyes off the Lord. In whatever storm you may be facing or difficulties, whenever we face that, don't get your eyes off the Lord because you'll begin to be overwhelmed. The children of Israel, when they were backed up against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides, and here are the Egyptian chariots about ready to mow them over, and they looked up and they cried out because they saw the Egyptian chariots, and they cried out to Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? They had nowhere to go. But you see, they needed to lift their eyes a little bit higher to the Lord. And it was Moses that said, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And there are times in the storms, you be still in your heart. That is long enough to keep focused on the Lord. It's very important. Get your eyes on Him. If there's uncertainty in your heart, if there's doubt, if if there's negativity, whatever it might be, just stop. And say, Lord, I need to be quiet enough to get my eyes on You. You get your eyes off of Him, your focus is going to be on the chariots or on the waves crashing against you or whatever it might be, the circumstance. Get your eyes on him. And I know that can be difficult at times. But here Jesus, he's with them. He gets in the boat with them and he does the same thing with you. He promised that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. And he'll calm your heart and your soul, that situation. Now a couple quick notes and then we're going to finish here. It says that, first of all, that... um, as we look here, they, they, we know, we read the story, they weren't looking for the Lord to show up, I don't think, at 3 in the morning walking on the water. 3 in the morning is the darkest hour. And maybe perhaps somebody is here and you're saying, this is a real dark hour that I am in. The Lord came to them in kind of an unexpected way, walking on the water. And the Lord is going to be with you. He is with you at this dark hour. And maybe he's going to show himself strong to you in an unexpected way. But you trust in him and you look to him and know that he is with you and among you. And then verse 52 is interesting. It says they didn't understand about the lows. What didn't they understand? Now, you can read commentaries on this, and, and many of them suggest that perhaps they didn't consider the, the miracles that he had just done. The King James, matter of fact, if you have that version in your lap, it reads that they considered not the miracle of the loaves, but I think it's more than that. I think it's this. Yes, he works miracles, but he's also going to provide for you. And just as he provided for them up on the hillside, And sometimes we think, Lord, you're providing for everybody else, but Lord, in my situation, are you going to provide for me? He is. Because he loves you and he cares for you. And he's not going to leave you alone. But you stay close to him. Keep your eyes on him and trust him. You keep walking in obedience. Don't turn around go the way of the world. But you keep trusting in him and know that he's going to come to you perhaps in an unexpected way. He will come to you in the darkest of hours. He will come to you this hour at this time as you just cry out to him and know that he wants to calm your heart, calm the situation that you're in. Because, Lord, I belong to you, and you're going to provide, and you're going to work because you promise you work all things out for good for those who love you who are called according to your purposes. And, Father, we thank you 
we say amen to what we read this morning of your goodness and your compassion towards us. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, I do pray that this morning, if there's anyone that's in this sanctuary or as there's people out in a coffee shop that have listened to this service, that Lord, you have compassion for all of us, but even those who perhaps don't belong to you at this time. And if there is anybody that is here this morning,